You'll please take your Bibles and turn to Zechariah. We're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 5 this morning. So we're in our season of Advent, and I'm calling it from Advent to Advent, because again, a lot of us have had the experience of looking at Advent as we look back um, to the first coming of Christ. Um, but then I also want to point us to the second coming of Christ and maybe ask some, maybe make some of the connections for us. So again, we've already had Micah 5 read for us, and we know that Jesus came the first time to Bethlehem, but where is he coming back the second time? So many people knew, actually, when you know Herod was saying, where will the Messiah be born? Um, it became very clear that everybody knew, hey, he's coming back to Bethlehem. But if someone came up to you and said, where is Jesus coming back the second time, would you know? So he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And we know that from the passage that we're going to read this morning, Zechariah 14. As we kind of prep this, again, part of our understanding as we look at this passage is to give us a certainty, a hope, an understanding that Christ is coming back. Because, again, if we're honest, if we don't know about the future, it begins to affect how we do things in the present. Whether it's a test um, that you feel like you haven't studied for or prepped for, and all of a sudden you get so worked up that you actually fulfill and you fail the test that you were uh, preparing for because you became so anxious about it. Maybe it's a, about a job or a hurt relationship in the past, and you get to the place where you begin to not trust people because of things that have happened, and so you fulfill that by sabotaging relationships as you go forward. But what if you had the certainty of the future? Would it affect how you live now? Remember that commercial where the kids are playing basketball and they're standing in the midst of the kids? It's Charles Barkley. Remember the kid goes, I'll pick Charles. And he's like, yes! Now, they do that because there is a certainty if you have Charles Barkley on a child's basketball team, you are going to win. So God comes for us, and he gives us not a New Testament passage, but he gives us an Old Testament passage where he says, God is going to send back Jesus, the Messiah, as the conquering king. And he tells us that he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And so he's given us the big picture of saying, you can be certain, you can be secure that Jesus is coming back. And because he's coming back, it should affect how we live in the present. So we don't focus on the things that are just surrounding us. This is what David Strain says in regards to this passage. He says, you know, I rather suspect that some of you are not at all sure if we really believe the Christian gospel if we can really buy into the Christian vision of the world. And so truth be told, we are neither here nor there. We might be attracted perhaps to Jesus. Maybe we find the Christian ethic compelling because we understand humility, sacrifice, loving service, and so on. But at the same time, we find ourselves longing for the world, for everything it offers, immediate gratification, no strings, no need for guilt, Its values are shaped by lust and pride and greed and self-interest and whatever else they are. 
For they are much easier to live by than love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if you could see the end from our vantage point here in the middle of everything, wouldn't you think differently about how you're responding to Jesus and to his gospel? That's the question for us today as we come to this passage. Because of what Christ has done in the past, because of what Christ is doing now, do we long and do we look and wait for Jesus to return to us soon? Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, you have allowed the prophets to write your words. Your words that had fulfilling in Jesus as the coming Messiah. But Father, also to us as we await your second coming, when you don't come as the infant lowly child, but you come back as the conquering warrior king. And so Father, prepare us. Not just to remember, but Lord, to prepare ourselves for the second advent. And Lord, may we not be caught unawares, but may we look to you, our Savior, our King. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at Bethlehem, the first advent. So again, we have Jesus' hope. That was given. So what happens is, uh, David was reading earlier, we have the Assyrian invasion. So the people had come in, they had invaded into the country, and yet they were not able to go all the way to Jerusalem. But they were in a place just outside of Jerusalem. They were able to conquer Bethlehem. And so as they're conquering Bethlehem, it says that the king, King Hezekiah, is humiliated. It's where he's struck on the face. He's being humiliated. And God is saying to the people, even though um, Assyria has come and invaded you, I'm telling you as your father, as your heavenly king, that my love for you is, is everlasting. And so I'm telling you that there is going to be a future hope. And a future hope is going to come from this very city in Bethlehem. Because there is a greater king than King David, and his name will be Jesus, and he's going to be the Messiah. And so look forward to that day where, again, you won't have to worry about the Assyrians anymore. And so God brings them to the birthplace of Jesus, and so it is where the Messiah was going to come. And we know this because everyone knew this passage, 
And so again, it doesn't catch anybody off guard. When Again, when Herod asked the question, when the Magi came looking for uh, the for the Messiah, he said, well, where is that? And everybody says, well, everybody knows where he's going to come. He's going to come to Bethlehem because the prophet Micah said so. Now, again, we're we're talking about 400 years of silence before the time that Jesus, remember, ends with uh, Malachi and then when the time that Jesus comes and his birth is announced. So there's 400 years of silence, but still the people knew that they were looking for the Messiah to come from the town of Bethlehem. And so in the midst of this, listen, God uses all things to create the scenario. So even though probably Mary and Joseph probably knew that the Messiah is going to be in Bethlehem, it still took a political issue to bring them there. Now, again, does this mean that all of us are going to head over to Jerusalem at some point for the end of the world? I don't know. And how are we going to get there? I don't know. But maybe you're on a plane and your plane gets diverted and you end up landing in Jerusalem. You never know what God's going to use to put you in a position to get us to a place where things that he had prophesied earlier are going to happen. So as a decree of Caesar Augustus for all those to go back to their hometowns. And so that puts Mary and Joseph in a place where she's great with child and she's out traveling. And yet she finds herself in the midst of, of going to Bethlehem and having a child to fulfill the prophecy that was brought about so many years earlier. And so God does this for us. His will is done by using nature, by using political systems. It doesn't matter. God uses all things to bring about what he desires. And so God has Jesus be born in Bethlehem, and then he gives to him an earthly purpose. And what is that purpose? This threefold. One, he gives him a ministry. He gives him a ministry um, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick and set captives free. That's what it says in Isaiah, and that's what Jesus does, and he fulfills it himself, and then he gives it to his disciples. And he says, now like I have done, you go and do. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, set the captives free. And so we understand that because, again, we know that those who are caught up in the world, they are people who find themselves in in places and positions of which they can't get out of. And so God says, go and take them the gospel message. And what is the gospel message? Well, we have the perfect sacrifice. See, Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. So that's why he is able to be the sacrifice. He's the one that because he was killed, because his blood was shed, we are the ones that are forgiven. We're the ones that have the relationship rekindled with God our Father because of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ given to us his blood, he gives to us not only that, but he also gives to us his righteousness, his perfection. So when God sees us, he doesn't see Jeff. He sees Jesus. Because if he sees Jeff and I have to pay and settle my accounts, then that's going to be a sad day for me. But because he sees Jesus and his righteousness, I can now come and stand in his presence before God because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so he gives to us this ministry, he gives to us this sacrifice, but then he tells the disciples, now go and do as I have told you. Go and preach the gospel. Make disciples in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he gives to them this promise. And lo, I am with you. 
to the very ends of the earth. So he gives to us this charge. And this is where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be preaching the gospel, healing the sick, setting captives free. And we do that because of his first coming, but we also look to his second coming. We should be looking forward to the second advent. Now again, I I get frustrated. I don't know if you do, but I get frustrated because everything that we do, these little crush scenes, they're not accurate, right? So we have these things and people believe that there's three wise men because we have three wise men and ours are over here. At least we have ours traveling, Okay, because they're still two years away from being here over here. So we have ours travel through the weeks of Advent. Okay, so at least that's good. But we don't know how many wise men there were. Now we know the gifts that they bring. And because there's three gifts named, we think there's three wise men. And we don't know their names. So just because you sing a song doesn't mean you know the names of the wise men. And then over here, this is not accurate. They, They weren't in this thing. And I bet most of us, if not all of us, have these in our homes. And, and it's really nice and it's clean. And we have, we have a nice cow and a donkey and a little sheep. Isn't that nice? Well, sheep, that's probably okay. But that's not what the um, shepherd looks like. He looks really nice. Shepherds were stinky, nasty people. You didn't even trust them at all. They couldn't even give testimony in court because they lied so much. And see, we go through all this. Now, now think about not only are we getting these things wrong, but think about the second coming. Think about it, because it's not a nice picture. Jesus says to us, in regards to his warning through God the Father, that there's going to come a day where Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by all the nations. And listen again. They're going to be against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. How's that for a Christmas scene? It's not very nice. That doesn't play well on Hallmark Channel. We wouldn't put that up around our Christmas tree. But God is very clearly giving us a warning, and he's given us this warning. And again, we're not exactly sure, because again, it's prophecy. But he is telling us very clearly that judgment begins first with the family of God. See, God has throughout history used the nations, the surrounding nations, to come and take care of his people when we get to the place where we don't desire or have our relationship in a right way with our Heavenly Father. And so this prophecy is telling us that Jesus is coming back, but he's coming back only after we go through trials and tribulations. And the trials and tribulations come by all nations and see they hate Jesus. And so there's rejection for us. There's opposition. There's hostility. There's violence. There's exclusion. There's exile. And again, probably most of us here in this room don't experience that. Probably the most we experience sometimes is what we see on the news sometimes when people come and they destroy people's nativity scenes on their yards. They stole the baby Jesus. I'm repressed. 
But God's given us a warning. He's saying there's coming a day where all the nations are going to surround the holy city, Jerusalem. And he's going to allow them to come and to bring judgment upon his people for the people to be called back to the Savior. And so as it comes, listen, all the nations at this point think that they're safe and secure. They think they know what's good for the whole world. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security. So these are the non-Christians. This is what they're saying. There's now peace and security because we've taken care of the church, of all the Christians. Now there's peace and security. And then this is what God says. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So God is giving them a warning because what happens is Jerusalem is ground zero. It is the place where judgment begins with the people of God. And so what happens is Jesus, again, says everything then becomes, listen to this, it becomes a plain So only Jerusalem is elevated. Now this happens when, again, Jesus returns. And Jesus returns, listen, as the king. He comes back as a king. How do we know that he comes back besides this passage? How do we know that he comes back as a king and he comes on on the Mount of Olives? Listen to what it says in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23. And the glory of the Lord went out from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. So again, this is the Old Testament. And remember, God removes himself from Jerusalem. When God removed himself from the city, when he left the Holy of Holies, when he left the temple, his presence went to the Mount of Olives. Acts chapter 1 talks about um, verses 11 and 12. This is after the transfiguration. And the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So we know where Jesus is coming back. We know he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus comes back to the Mount of Olives, he comes back as the warrior king. He doesn't come back as an infant child. He comes back in power and glory. And when he stands, listen, on the Mount of Olives, it's actually split into two as if a great earthquake comes. It levels the mountain. And so half of it goes to the north, half of it goes to the south, and there's a great valley that's now opened up to the east gate. And again, if you've never gone to Jerusalem or if you've never studied Jerusalem, this is a great study. Go on to YouTube. There's plenty of videos, some better than others, but there's plenty of of videos that are out there that you can see from the Mount of Olive that goes down to the east gate that looks to the dome of the rock where they think that they um, were going to sacrifice Abraham. And remember, that's the Temple Mount. And everything is talking about everything coming out of the east gate. And so the Muslims are there, the Christians are there, the Jewish people are there, and it's the most expensive cemetery in the world. Because people want to be in line for whether you think the Messiah is coming the first time or coming back the second time. But that east gate that looks upon, that Jesus walked through, 
it's going to come back through, faces out to the Mount of Olives. And so when Jesus stands upon it and it splits, listen, don't think that it's about creation. Don't think that it's impressive about the earthquake that comes and God makes it a plane. Here's what you should get out of this. God will move heaven and earth to protect and make a safe way for his people. Do you believe that? Do we hearken back to the days of the Red Sea? Remember when the people left out of, uh, out of Egypt? And remember, they went through trials and tribulations too. Remember, and then we get Passover. And then when God started to kill the first uh, child, listen, everything that they lost while they were in Egypt, God plunders from the Egyptians. People are throwing things at them. So is it a bad thing to lose your house, to have your house plundered? Well, sure, but is that the thing that you hold on to the most? Do we really trust God? That's a question. I have a, ch- a, a child in, uh, well, you know that. I have three children, but I have a child um, that uh, has gone and gotten a job where she's just working on her own every day. She doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. And see, now I raise her saying, I want you to trust God. I want you to live by faith, not by sight. And I tell the stories of how we went to seminary and there were days literally where we were taking our, our change jar and we were dumping it out um, so that we could pay bills. Um, when I came down, we made sure we were out of debt when I came, but we came to a job uh, that I got that was paid me $506 or something like that and our rent was 500 or 600 Something like, like we were not making enough money. And again, to the world standards, that doesn't make sense. Why, why would you do that? Well, I think God called me to this. So I'm going to trust that God's going to provide. And I've told you examples of people who would send me a check and said, a friend of mine said, I wrote you a check for $200, but I don't have the $200, so don't cash it. And then called me the very next day after we got it. He said, you know what? I got a check for $200 in my, in my um, post box, in my mailbox. Cash the check. See, God takes care of us. But see, that's great for me to walk through faith, but I don't want my daughter to walk through faith that way. No, you, you need to have insurance. You need to have a savings account. You need to have this and this. And this. What security do we have? What if the government comes and takes all of our 401s and 403s? Where's our security then? What happens to an evading army that comes? And again, in our lifetime, we've never had that happen on our soil. But how many people around the world live every day with saying, I don't know if I'll come back and it'll be my home still. Do we trust that God is going to fight for us? Think about the people that came out of Egypt and Moses, they're following Moses and Moses gets in a place where, again, according to worldly standards, makes no sense to go to, a place where they were cut off from everything, and before them is the Red Sea, and behind them is the army of Egypt, the greatest army. 
And what does God do? He makes creation open up a path for the people of God. And they walk through on dry land. But when the greatest army tries to follow, he has the waters swallow up and defeat an earthly army in the course of minutes. Do we believe that God fights for us? That God loves us? That God cares for us? And that He is our security? Not our bank accounts, not our careers, not even our families. Do we trust that He will put us in the right place at the right time with the right situations? Do we have eyes of faith? Or do you put them upon the circumstances of the world? So God's telling us very quickly, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But God is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, even creation itself is going to fight for the people of God. And when he comes back, he comes back to reign because what happens is Jerusalem becomes the world capital. Everything now happens from there. The new heavens, the new earth, it's going to be a unique day. It says there's not going to be, the, the moon's going to be done with, the sun's going to be done with, but there's still going to be light. How does that happen? I don't know. But isn't that going to be cool? Where we get to be in the presence of Jesus? And everything that you think you lost here on earth grows strangely dim. And we bask in the glory of God and what happens is there's now becomes a renewal of creation and things begin to happen. The cosmos are changed in the courses. And because he comes back and he's reigning and he reigns as the conquering king, it says he brings peace, shalom. The thing that was promised when Jesus came as an infant child is fulfilled as we go into sanctuary with God. And we're in the presence where God meets with his people again. And I hope you get excited. I, I know you guys are tired you're overwhelmed. You're, you're so quiet today. Mm. Be anti that. Rise up with joy. And again, it, it's not about grandma being there in heaven, and it's not about your children. It's not about anybody that you're going to see. It's about being in the presence of God, where God is going to be with us, and we'll see him face to face. And we'll know peace forevermore. Are you looking to the second advent of Christ? Are you content with the present? See, as we come down and we get a foretaste, he reminds us, he tells us to remember so that we might look forward. And that's what he does for us this Advent season. Remember what Christ did in his first coming. But now look for him to come the second time. Amen? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, this isn't a good Christmas second story. Not until you come back. And Father, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I like being comfortable. I like having the Christmas tree. I like the manger scenes to be nice and clean. But Father, allow us to look at our own hearts. And we know that you deal with your family first. And so, Father, deal with our hard hearts, hearts that look to, to be our own Savior, hearts that we look for our own security. And, Father, that's hard to let go. It's hard to trust that you are good, that you're holy and that you care about us more than we could ever dream or imagine. And so, Father, we do look forward to that day where you'll come to the Mount of Olives, that you will return truly as that conquering warrior king and all the heavenly hosts with you. And then we'll be called into your sanctuary, into your shalom, Secure forevermore. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. So Father, truly give us as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, as we remember the Passover that you started, that you brought your people out of slavery into freedom, but you took them through the Red Sea to do it. And so Father, teach us to walk with you, to trust you, to obey you, to await your return. Prepare us now, we pray, O Father, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.